0: 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. May God bless the reading of his word. Now I invite Pastor Jeff to speak to us on Better Together.
1: Morning, everyone. It's so good to be able to worship with everyone this morning. If you're just joining us, we've been preaching uh, through our DNA and our identity, which we've embedded in this vision frame that we've been kind of constructing week to week. And so we started with our mission statement up at the top, bridging cultures to build a family in Christ. And then we worked our way down the sides with our motives on the one hand and our marks on the other hand. From being for God to being missional in life. From being scripture driven to being shaped by scripture. When we think about our motives or our core values, it's a lot like defining our team colors. It's what sets one church apart from all the other teams on the field, even as we're all called to fulfill God's great commission. Now, I know not all of us watch sports, and that's okay, but sometimes, you know, we might catch a game. Maybe uh, there's a bunch of people that are watching the big game, whether it's the Super Bowl or the World Cup, and a question that gets asked is, well, which, which team is USA or which team is the Celtics? And I think team colors is one of the easiest and fastest ways to kind of point out and identify a team. Right? It's much faster than, than saying, you know, oh, the Patriots, that's the team with Bailey Zappi. And we're like, who's that? And I don't really care. They all look the same to me, Right. Now imagine watching a game between two teams that had no colors. Nothing but white versus white. And that can be hard to watch. That can be hard to engage with, to to stay connected with. And that can be like going to a church with no articulated specific core values. And so this morning, as we've been doing the past few weeks, we're going to be introducing our third core value. And so we bridge cultures To build a family in Christ because we are better together. This is, again, another motive for why we do our mission. Because we believe that we are better together. And that shows itself in in all different ways that we serve God and serve each other. And so I invite you to grab a Bible, turn with me. We're going to be hitting a couple of different passages, and we're going to start with Ecclesiastes four nine to twelve. Ecclesiastes four nine to twelve. There it says, "Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm." But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so implied in this value of better together is this idea that two are better than one. Now actually if we read the verses right before this, the author of Ecclesiastes is kind of setting the context. He's drawing this comparison with someone who has no one. He says in verses 7 to 8. Again I saw vanity under, under the sun. One person who has no other. Either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks. For who am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity. And an and unhappy business. And so here we get presented With the plight of someone who is completely alone. Who is toiling, working merely for personal gain. And and we find that it's, it's a gain that's never good enough. We find the plight of someone who is devoting their entire lives to acquiring wealth. But in the end, money is their only family. And this now sets the context for the author of Ecclesiastes to talk about how we're better together. And so the author gives four quick examples of why two are better than one. And so first, it benefits their work, our work. These two people working together can complement each other. There's synergy. There's collaboration. They can achieve together more than they could do by themselves. Second, they they help each other in times of need. One falls down and the other is there to pick him up. Not only do they help each other out, but they keep each other warm too. And we're not talking about two people in a relationship here. But imagine, for their context, travelers who would be lined beside each other to keep each other warm as they trek through the cold and uh, dark and desert nights. And lastly... Two are better than one when it comes to protection. One may be overpowered, but two can defend themselves. You can kind of maybe picture with me two people standing back to back as they face their opponents. And if two are good, three is even better. The passage ends not with two, but with three. He says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so the idea here is that in a context like this of being better together, plurality is a good thing. So as an example, the New Testament model for church leadership is a shared leadership. It's what we call a plurality of elders or plurality of pastors, a group or team of Leaders who are balancing each other's weaknesses, who are sharing the burden and sharing the workload and providing greater accountability for one another. And throughout the New Testament, Paul and James and others, they write with this assumption that there are multiple elders and multiple pastors in each church. And we're fortunate enough to be at a church where plurality of elders and pastors is a thing. And though we've had some leadership transitions over the years, you know, we're at a point now where Crossbridge, even ourselves, when you consider ourselves, we're at a point now where where we have two full time, non interim pastoral staff. That means Minister Pat and myself, we can complement each other, hopefully, as we serve the church. That that means we, we can partner together, we can work together to edify and build this family in Christ. And when we're talking about this, core value of better together it's not just church leadership right it might start there it might be modeled there but it also overflows to the people the members of the church there's a proverb that that says if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far go together and and that's true whether we're talking about trying to get out the door with our spouse and our kids in tow, or when we're trying to get the whole group of our friends to figure out where to, where to eat and then to go there. Because we might be thinking, man, if I was alone right now, I'd already have a burger in my mouth. Or I'd already be there. But this proverb is, is also true for, for the church. For Crossbridge. Especially so, right? When we consider our mission. Because all these core values, all these motives is tied to our mission. Bridging cultures to build a family in Christ. Because if we're to view ourselves, if we start to change our mindset and start to think of ourselves as bridge builders, that takes time, that takes sacrifice, that takes investment. That means leaving our preconceived notions at the door. And it also means that we can't do it alone. Otherwise, who are we really bridging? Two is better than one. And in our passage that was read this morning, we get another snapshot of why we're better together, 1 Corinthians 12. It's because we are one body with many members. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. This church had a lot of issues, some of which had a lot to do with division and factions and, and how people treated one another amongst the body of Christ their family in Christ. And so here in chapter 12, Paul is addressing this issue of how the Corinthians viewed and treated one another through how they viewed spiritual gifts. You see, the the Corinthians, this, this body of believers, had been uninformed about what was the proper criterion for the genuine work of the Spirit of God. Contrary to what they believed, it was not the presence of spiritual gifts, or in their case, the presence of one particular spiritual gift, which is the gift of tons. that The criterion for the work of the Spirit in the believer's life was not this unintelligible utterance marked by the gift of tongues, but an intelligible utterance in which the content in which you're uttering was the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. And so Paul is kind of really emphasizing the unity of the body of believers. But he continues on to explain that this unity does not mean uniformity. In fact, this unity requires diversity. And so all these people are, are united because they're confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. But they're different too. They're individuals. And the diversity of their spiritual gifts, which the Spirit gives them, Which they experience. It's rooted in the diversity of the one triune God. So to put it simply, Paul was pointing out that the the Corinthians were diverse in gifts, but united in their confession of Christ. And he really wants to drive this home for them. He makes a point that it's the, the same spirit, the same Lord Jesus, and the same God who gives these gifts to the Corinthians. Seven times the word same is repeated. 12 times the word spirit is repeated. And so the spirit works in different ways, but it is the same spirit who works among the different Corinthians. And so one is given one spiritual gift. Another is given a different one. And guess what? That's okay. That's good. And so Paul uses this metaphor of the human body, which has different members To describe the body of Christ, which also has different members. So hence, we are one body with many members. And he uses it to emphasize both the church's diversity and the church's unity. Like this is how they're better together. And if the Corinthians, you know, if they really got that, it would transform. It would change how they treat one another. Because what we find in this chapter is... This is not the case, right? You have have certain people amongst this body of believers who feel superior. And you have others who feel inferior within this wider family in Christ, the Corinthian community. And they feel this way because of what spiritual gifts they have. But Paul reasons, though, as we read earlier, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And so what Paul's really drawing out for us is that those who feel superior cannot say, I have no need of you. And those who feel inferior cannot say, I do not belong. And I would actually add that sometimes when we're hurting, where we're in a place of hurt, when this value of better together feels like really distant and more aspirational than actual in Crossbridge, those of us who feel inferior might actually respond out of that hurt by saying, not, I do not belong, but by saying, well, I have no need of you. And those who feel themselves to be superior might instead say, I don't belong here. Paul is not just admonishing those who feel superior. He's also admonishing those who feel inferior. And he says, but as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So we are one body with many members. We are better together. And what that means, as we said in our responsive reading, is we collaborate together to accomplish God's mission. And different people have different roles, right? One member is an ear. Maybe the other is a hand. But Paul also kind of points out in verse 23 that all the parts or the members of the body are necessary, no matter how much we uh, cover them, no matter how much attention or visibility we give to them. God has designed the body of Christ this way. Right? Some of us might be an ear or an eye, which gets a lot of attention and a lot of visibility, but some of us might be a liver, helping to clean the toxins out from this body. Others of us might be a lung, which gives breath and life to crossbridge, right? Neither is visible. They're internal organs. But both are just as important because bodily appearances can be deceiving. And so, so now we ask, well, where does this value of better together, where does it show itself up in the life of crossbridge, right? These team colors, these motives, they generally should already be here in our congregation, even if it's beneath the surface. But now we're kind of putting a name to it. Now we're kind of pulling it out to the surface so that we can identify, so that we can point it out, and so that we can own it better together. We collaborate together to accomplish God's mission. How does it show up? Let me give you a few examples that I think of. Maybe, maybe you have more examples that you might think of. The assembly line. This was something that, you know, from my own experiences, I picked up maybe in youth or in college and just being a part of this church for a really long time. Right. When we're setting up chairs and tables for things like a barbecue or potluck, and you have crossbred, you have old and young, you know, old timers and even newcomers uh, coming together to grab chairs from 151, walking up and down that 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 ramp. Some are helping to set up tables, some carry the chairs, some grab the chairs and set those up. Others are, are grabbing food uh, from the grill and putting it on the tables and setting that up. And this, it's this picture of being better together. That we can ultimately accomplish more. And hopefully more for God being missional in the long term when we're doing it together. Now I remember going to, to our youth retreats and we would drive these yellow school buses and we'd load up our 12 or 15 passenger church vans with all the luggages and the duffel bags and the sleeping bags of the youth. And then when we get there in the dead of winter, with all the snow in, in February, you know, we as a youth would, would line up and we, we'd create an assembly line because we're all about being efficient and getting things done quick. And we would line up and we would unload everything. And we would hand off one by one from one person to another, one duffel bag to another, one sleeping bag to another. Moving things from the back of the van to the inside of the barn, away from all the snow. Right, this assembly line its an example. It's also a metaphor right, of us collaborating together. It's more than that, too, though. right? It's not just serving ourselves or doing things faster so that we can feed ourselves faster, but collaborating together to accomplish God's mission. And so this shows up in the way that we do ministry, the way that we bring about teams, whether it's the retreat planning team or the worship team or our church-wide NCPI team. That's the Neighbor Church Partnership Initiative, right, that we, where we reached out to financially support other churches in the area because we're better together. It's also present in the way that we as Crossbridge relate to the other congregations in this larger church of CBCGB. We have youth ministry, we have children's ministry, we have Chinese ministry, we have city outreach ministry. And many of us are part of this larger church and even serve in some of these ministries, children's and youth particularly, because I believe that at the end of the day, underneath it all, part of the reason why we do is because we believe that we are better together. In the home group that I'm in, uh, we spent a few weeks this summer to go over this assessment uh, that was created by Gallup called Clifton Strengths. Now, look, no assessment is perfect, right? And it's a tool, right? So if we don't use it, probably not going to be that helpful. But the premise behind this uh, assessment that we use, this, Clif- Clif- this Clifton Strengths, is actually really quite similar to the premise that was behind our vision frame that we've been constructing. In the same way that every church is unique, right? God does not mass produce his churches off of an assembly line. Every church has its strengths, has its calling. So too is every person created by God in the image of God, but also unique. And has their kind of natural themes of talent, which they can cultivate into a strength with knowledge and with skill, and so we as a group took this assessment and we started doing a couple of exercises together. The very first exercise we did was this thing called Love Crazy Envy. Well, I renamed it to Love Crazy Appreciate because we're not supposed to envy. But the purpose of this exercise is, was to identify like, the way that we are naturally are. What are our natural themes of talent? Whether you know, we're naturally competitive or we're naturally analytical or we're naturally someone who just loves to woo people and, and get to know people. Right? And to recognize how these talents, the way that we, God has created us naturally to be, how they are a love when they're applied productively. And then how they're a crazy, maybe they drive ourselves crazy, maybe, maybe they drive others crazy when they're misapplied. But another purpose was also to appreciate and to affirm each other's talent themes. Right? Something that clearly, when you look at the Corinthians, they weren't doing with each other's spiritual gifts. And so as we did this exercise and we shared our answers, you know, we had people like saying, like, Oh man, I appreciate the fact that you are naturally adaptable. Your, your, your go-with-the-flow personality uh, is so helpful because I am so not like that in, uh, when it comes to, like, really hard and difficult and challenging situations. Or you had others who, who said, oh, yeah, I envy or appreciate how you're naturally deliberative, right? That you take the time to think through and you take great care uh, in weighing the different options and thinking through your responses to questions, Because sometimes I, I don't take enough time to blurt out an answer or to respond to a message. Or or still another example, you know, I appreciate how how you are naturally positive. How you bring energy and enthusiasm to our group and how you just, you know, lift the mood of our group with just your very presence. This idea that we are better together is grounded in this theology that we are one body with many members and different gifts. And so Paul writes Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. We've been talking about our core values for the past few weeks, not just because it's helpful for us, and even for new people, to figure out like what we're about, what really drives us as a congregation, but also to kind of know what's not going to change as we head into uncharted territory as a church together. Right? Especially as we are living in a world coming out of a pandemic that is rapidly becoming more volatile, more uncertain, more complex, and more ambiguous. Our core values are a signpost that while, look, we we may need to adapt as a congregation, we may need to change things. We may need to change ourselves in order to be more missional, right? In order to really fulfill this mission statement of bridging cultures to build a family in Christ and not just have it as a, as a bumper sticker or as a page on our website. Like, so while we may need to do some things different, our core values aren't going to change. They are still going to be present in one way or another. You know, it's like if the, uh, the packaging or the preparation of your food changes. But as long as it still kind of tastes the same, it, then we're good, right? Like whether it's ramen that is microwaved or cooked in a pot, but as long as we can still taste that MSG, then we're good, right? So being for God, Scripture-driven, better together, servant-hearted, this is the MSG that is boiled into our cross-bridge culture, for better or for worse. And that's not going to change, even as we might need to prioritize or change other things. Right? We're still going to be able to taste it. We're still going to be able to point these values out because this is us. I put that out there because, you know, whenever we feel that our core values are being threatened, we might not even know it, but we feel like they're being threatened, that's when we push back. Because people generally don't actually resist change, per se. I know a lot of us are really, like, averse to change, but hang with me here. Like, people generally don't resist change, per se. They resist loss. And change brings loss. And if we feel that whatever we need to change in order to become more missional is going to mean that we lose out on one of our core values, we're probably not going to go over well. Right? Like if I say like, oh, in order for us to really bridge cultures, we're going to stop being scripture driven. That's not going to go over well. And so to use that as an example, because we preached about that last week. Right? Being scripture-driven means that we look to scripture to know God to navigate the demands of everyday life. It also means that it's demonstrated in the life of Crossbridge by our adherence to sermons that are more expositional and exegetical. That takes into consideration authorial intent and not just injecting my own ideas and feelings because we really want to hear what God has to say. It's demonstrated by how we do Bible study. That it's not just a stream of consciousness where we're just sharing whatever comes to mind, but we are studying the Word of God, that this is God speaking to us. And we want to hear from Him. It also means that we generally preach and teach Lectio Continua, which is just this fancy term that means that we generally preach through a book of the Bible or large portions of Scripture rather than just jumping around. Now, Look, we do take breaks here and there, and we preach on certain topics of relevance, that like this current series. But I, I think if I were uh, to suddenly just say, you know what, we're just going to preach on whatever is most popular now. We're just going to go from one thing to another. I'm going to start hearing from a lot of you guys, and then the same thing could apply to any of our other core values, like better together. Right. If there are changes to our groups, the way we do our groups, or how we spend our budgets or our building projects that appear to threaten this better together value, then we, we start pushing back. But we have to remember that these, these core values, all this, the purpose is to build up the church, this family in Christ, both internally among ourselves as we demonstrate care for one another but also outwardly as we collaborate together to accomplish God's mission. And so as we've been doing week to week with these core values, we've been matching a motive or core value with a mark, right? If this is really kind of like what drives us, our motivation, then what does that look like? Who are we becoming? So if we are better together, then let's be walking in community. In Hebrews, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The author is writing to early Christians. And who are in danger of giving up on God and departing from the faith. He urges them to to hold fast the confession of our hope. The same confession of Christ that the Corinthians were united around, that we're united around, even as they were diverse in their gifts. And he follows that up with another command then, right? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so he's reasoning that this confession of hope, if we're really to continue to confess Lord Jesus, it's more likely if we have mutual encouragement. So he's like, Well, let's continue in that. And then mutual encouragement is more likely with proximity and frequency. So verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So likewise, if we are better together, and that means that we collaborate together to accomplish God's mission we also need to be walking together in community so so that we can hold fast to our confession, so that we can encourage each other, so that we can support one another. Doing all this often and doing all this together. Brene Brown, uh, some of you know who she is, professor and author, she shared this story about a group of women in a remote village in Africa. They would spend their afternoons at the edge of the river, washing their family's clothes by hand. And as they did so, in the light of the day, they would share stories. They would ask questions. They would catch up with one another. They would laugh. They would cry. They would laugh so hard they would start crying. They would check in with each other. And these women were in poverty. But what we find, what she shares, is that after a while, it turns out that this entire village experienced an influx of wealth. After they became more resourceful. And so now these villagers could afford uniforms. They could have electricity. They could buy things like cell phones and washing machines. And the thing that Brown highlights is that once every home in that village had its own washing machine, the prevalence of depression rose among the mothers in that region. And it rose sharply. Why was this the case? Why, you know, wasn't that village thriving? Didn't they have all these stuff and resources now? And one pastor from a similar cultural background knew why. He pointed out this. He said, the more resources a person gets, the more walls he or she puts up, the more lonely they become. There's been a lot of research into why people who who live in the happiest places on earth, they they call these places blue zones. Why they experience a much better quality of life. It's the same reason for these villagers in Africa. Camaraderie. Community. Like We are meant to walk in community together. We are not meant to go through our days alone. We are not meant to go work alone, to learn alone, to celebrate alone, to cry alone, to make decisions alone. Does that mean we give up our washing machines? No. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> but to walk in community, right, especially as we live in a pretty affluent society and community here in Crossbridge, we need to be especially mindful sensitive to the walls that have been been built up because of our resources, because of our stuff or the things that we have. To walk in community means to tear down those walls. Metaphorically, probably, not to, you know, take a sledgehammer to a washing machine, but to tear down these walls that would keep us from each other and also to keep us from being bridge builders, and so where do we start? As our task force was trying to articulate what our core values were, there was a point where I had joked to them that maybe food should be a core value. Cuz we were talking about like, you know, all the things that we did as a community, as a as Crossbridge and the way that we uh, uh, did our ministries and all that stuff, right? And as we listed out all these things, food kept coming up as a congregation, right? Picnics, Barbecues, like the one after service today. Church lunch, potlucks, small group dinners, eating out after Friday night fellowship. All these different things. Food is there. It's like omnipresent. But I don't think food is the primary motivator for us, for our mission, even if it is the context for a lot of the things that we do. And it's because, I think, when we're eating, we're tearing down those walls. We are inviting people to break bread together. We may not be washing our clothes together by the river, but we're eating hot pot together. We're eating family style as we ask each other questions, as we share stories, as we encourage each other and learn from each other, all so that we can be stirred to love and good works. All that so that we can be stirred to being more missional. And so like every week for our core value, we have a question for us to think about, and for us to even ask each other. This week's is, who is seated at my dinner table? Now, realistically, it may not be dinner. Right? It may not even be a table. Right? It may be sharing some pizza, sitting on the ground after we helped each other move in. It may be around a around table, as we, or a kitchen island if you don't have a table, uh, as we invite people to a housewarming party or just invite people over, our neighbors over. It may be ordering takeout because, you know, some of us might be too busy to cook, but you still want to invite someone over and to show hospitality into your home. It may be inviting someone who is alone for the holidays to be a part of your family and not even just for that one day. The point is, how do we walk in community? Who is seated at our table? And, And I hope that this question, as we reflect on it, it's not just people already in our community, not just people already in our family, but the people also who come to mind when we ask ourselves a question from the first core value. Who are we bringing to come and see? No, those are people especially that we need to be thinking about as when we ask, who's seated at our table? So we believe that we are better together and if we are, then Crossbridge, let's begin walking in community together as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your grace that has been present in uh, and among this community, in this family of Crossbridge. Lord, we confess that at times it is very easy, very tempting to be inward focused to focus only on what we would define as our family. But we look to scripture and we see that you have expanded our mindset on what community means, about what being the church means, and what being a family in Christ means. So help us, God, to walk together as we collaborate together to accomplish your mission for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.